morning. How are you? Good. My name is Josh, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor of First Baptist Church in Louisville, Texas. And if this is your first Sunday with us, this is my first Sunday as well. So let's start something together. It's going to be fun. I am sure of it. If, uh, uh, so if you are new with us, the church has been without a lead pastor, full-time lead pastor for two years. And I am convinced that if you somehow got the word out how hospitable and friendly you guys are, you would have been overwhelmed with people who would love to be the pastor here, especially if you told them how good some of you can cook. I have... I have eaten so much food over the last, so any sort of New Year's resolution to lose weight is just out the window. But man, we've had some uh, smoked chicken. We had some cobbler that makes you want to just like, uh, I don't know what it makes you want to do. It makes you want to eat a lot of cobbler. So thank you so much for your hospitality. I have never, ever, ever been around a church that has been so hospitable, so welcoming, so friendly to myself and my family. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 is where we're going to start today. My hope is to, sort of like skipping a rock across um, a body of water, we're going to skip across the Bible this year. All right, we're going to start in Genesis and end with, even so, Lord Jesus, come now. All right, we're going to do that towards the end of the year. That's my hope. That's what we're going to do. Just get a foundation for what we call the grand narrative, the big story of the Bible. Make sure we're all on the same page. And the page that you should be on is the first page in the Bible there. If you do not have a Bible, like maybe you don't own one personally, there's some there in the seat back. You can have that one. We want you to have that one. And if you're unfamiliar with using a Bible, you shouldn't feel any shame in that. We all learned the same way. There's a table of contents there in the beginning. And the first book is called Genesis, which means beginning. When you get married, if you're a dude, when you get married, uh, you learn things. You learn all sorts of things. Am I right? Yeah. If you want to talk while I'm preaching, go ahead. As long as it's relevant. All right. Don't talk to each other. But you can say amen. You can say yes. You can say, here we go. You can say, (laughs) you say what you want. You can. So uh, when, you, when you get married, you learn things. You learn stuff. So one of the small, simple things that comes to my mind about learning things is um, hanging clothes. So um, I, I've hung men's shirts, you know, my whole life. But when I got married, it is hard to hang female shirts or women's blouses, you know. And so you learn that on a hanger, there are these little hooks there. And there are these extra um, straps. Those aren't for her shoulders. Those are for the hanger. You put it on there. Do y'all know what I'm talking about here? That you learned that there was a design to the hanger that made it fulfill its purpose. That's one of the things you learn. Another thing you learn is how to fold fitted sheets. Y'all know how to do that? You find the corners. Not the, not the elastic part. You find the corners. You put them together. That's how you do that. That's how you're welcome. You're welcome. So you learn these things. And once you discover the design, then you will know the purpose. The design is what enables the purpose. That learning that, the purpose and the design, is actually there to help me accomplish what it is that I want to accomplish. To hang the blouse. To to be responsible. To love my wife. It's a small and everyday example of how design and purpose enable one another. 
That's a small thing, but it is emblematic to a much larger truth. Let me ask you this. What if there is a design or a purpose to all things? What if you were designed with a purpose? What if your gender and your sexuality, what if your personality and your perspective, what if your giftings and your talents and your, and your family and your marriage all had a design? And once we think about that design, once we align that design with the designer, then maybe it is that we can reach our purpose and and know what it is that God has intended for us. What if thinking for a moment about the idea unlocks a freedom to chase after God and what God intended us to be? What if that little secret is on the very first page of the Bible? And it was never ever hidden from you this morning what i hope to do in the allotted time hopefully in the time is to show you just that that god has created all things with order and purpose and that by his authority we are free inspired and enabled to live as we should as you actually want to let's pray together and then we will take a look at those first five verses there god thank you Thank you for the opportunity to to open up your word and to explain it. God, be with my mind and my mouth as I deliver what it is that you have laid on my heart, what I have studied. May be true and accurate, clear to the text. Clearly communicate what the original author meant for the original audience by your divine inspiration. God, we all come in here with different hurts and hangups and habits. And may we lay those, may we lay those down for just a second. May we free our, our hands to receive what it is that you say to us. God, may we open our minds to think, our hearts to feel. And God, where we do not measure up to your standard, give us the strength, the courage, and the faith to do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 5. Let me read this to you. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty darkness covered the surface with a watery depths and the spirit of god was hovering over the surface of the waters and then god said let there be light and there was light and god saw that the light was good and god separated the light from the darkness and god called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was an evening and there was a morning one day Now, clearly, when we read this story, and most often when you talk about this story or you study this text, the idea is going to be about our origin, where it all started, how we all got here, how all of the experiences and all that you can experience originated. This is our creation story, and it is foundational stone to the construction of our faith. Genesis 1 and 2 speaks about this creation story in which God Created by his very word, all things in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. As Christians, we believe that that is true. We hold that to be reality, that God is the creator of all things. One theologian said, whether special creation is endorsed by every scientist in the world or rejected by all of them is of monumental irrelevance. The Christian says God created the world because the Bible says so. And this is also God's introduction to us. 
Do you recognize that? There is no, hey, I'm God, and these are, uh, these are some of the things I like to do. It just simply says, God created. That is who did this. There is no background. There's no history given to this person. There's no personality. Where we begin to understand God is by what he does, what he is able to do. This is our origin story. God is our originator. He is all powerful. But with that being said, with that being said, I am not sure that origin is the primary purpose behind Genesis 1 and 2. I think it's there, and I obviously don't want to reject it. Obviously, that is the most superficial, the glaring reality of the text, that God originated all that we can experience. But maybe there are deeper meanings behind it. There were no original hearers of the story that doubted that reality. They didn't dare to think that everything that is, with all of its design and purpose and beauty, somehow just happened. Everyone at that point agreed and accepted that there was some immovable mover. That there was an original designer. So what are the other ideas? What are the deeper thoughts? Without leaving origin behind, where can we look deeper? Well, there are three observations. If you take notes, these would be the three words that you would want to write down. The first one is design or order. What is clear is that God is a God of order or design. You can see it throughout the rest of the text. If we were to read it, it says that he separated light from darkness, land from sea. The animals that fly and the animals that crawl. There is this separation. There is this order given and there is a design to all of it. Not just that there are orders in this. If you take biology, you'll learn about animals' order, creation's order. You will learn these things. But there's also great design to it, right? We're all impressed with snowflakes. We're all impressed with the beauty of different kinds of trees. I saw a little documentary thing the other day about how tattoos work in your skin. And skin is impressive. It's all by design. There's all of this order and this design that God created all throughout the Bible. There are examples of order. When God gave the law to Moses and designed a nation, when God instructed the people of Israel as they moved through the wilderness to move in a certain way, there was a design to it. There was a beauty to it. When he designed the tabernacle and the temple, there is design and there is order. Jesus calls 12 disciples to align with the 12 tribes of Israel, order, design, and beauty. All throughout the Bible, God is a God who is orderly. He is a God of design. And so, if that speaks to you, if you're the sort of person that loves to organize things, you know, you may feel that you're a little bit on the outside, you're a little bit of a, an oddball, but listen, you are worshiping God. When you organize the junk drawer in your kitchen, that's worship. When you design a painting, that's worship. When you maybe organize your homework folder before you go back to school, you are actually worshiping. There are some of us that just can't help but organize things, right? Can I see hands of anybody? And probably if I said, who are you married to? It's the exact opposite, right? You like to design and to order. That's not odd. That's not weird. That is the imprint of God on your heart and on your mind. 
We design, we order. Why? Because God has done that. He has put that imprint on our heart. We are blessed to be uh, in a temporary rental home right now over in Lantana. Lots of people have asked uh, where we're at. We're renting a home in Lantana. Um, it's right beside the tractor supply company. All right. So if you know where that is, we're right over there. Okay. And if you're in the Lantana Facebook group, uh, we were the ones right by the fire trucks last night. That was a big deal last night. Lantano just was awake about the fire trucks. That house is a blessing, and it's a good thing. We, we got a place that we could move into, but it's not organized. None of my stuff has a place. None of my place has a stuff. We still have boxes. And so there's a big part of me that just feels like I can't rest yet. I can't sit down yet because there's not order to this. God is a God of order. God has given us biblical creative order, but he's also given us a moral order. I call these moral orders guardrails in your life. The Bible says that the church should be led by pastors and served by deacons and ministers. He says that uh, what human sexuality and marriage is. He says what um, we have authority over creatures and animals. He sets the parameters for authority, forgiveness. He tells us to love those who would intentionally harm us. God sets these moral guardrails, this moral order to our lives. He tells us to be generous with what we own. To give away everything that you can plus a little bit more. He says to enjoy food and drink and beverage, but not too much. These are the guardrails in our lives. Blessings come from God, but they also come with guardrails. These are the order that he provides, but the freedom in those things, beautiful and unique. He sets the guardrails and allows us to live within them. Steve Besner is a pastor of one of the very best Texas Baptist churches down in Houston. He said, I've long appreciated the fact that God creates light before the sun in Genesis 1. God alone is the source of true light. He speaks word, proceeds, his spoken word proceeds that which we can understand. God speaks order. So I want you to imagine with me, if you will, that we are on a a drive, a beautiful mountainous scenic drive. On this side is rock and on that side is beauty, right? Just massive beauty. The guardrails along the road are given to us for our protection. They are nice, they are beautiful, but the other thing that we see in the origin story, the other thing that we see in the creation account is not only order or guardrails, but we also see purpose. That's the second word, purpose. It's a direction. It's a, it's a path by which we are going to go. Not only did God create this from that and that from this, but he created them in a certain order. Why? That they could fulfill a purpose. All of it was done in a way, in a pattern that would show their purpose. The plants are after the land and the sea are separated. And the animals are after the plants that will eat them. And man after the rest in order to enjoy it and to steward it. In verse 28, you can read that God has given man a purpose. Look down with your eyes in verse 28. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's our purpose. That was the purpose of the first man and woman, that to be fruitful, meaning to have children, to be like God. God created humans, and he asked us to do the same, to love for them, to care for them, to fill out, to fill the world, means to glorify God, that wherever we are, as humans created in the image of God, that we are to reflect God's glory, and then to subdue it, to steward it, would be a word that we could maybe understand 
to act as representatives of God throughout this planet. That we are to fulfill our purpose by being good stewards of God's creation. Some of you provide purpose to what is happening in a beautiful way in your own lives. I'm thinking specifically here of teachers. You have a scope and a sequence to how you are going to teach. You are building within the minds of students something. You are headed towards a purpose. You are using small blocks of information and giving it to them in a way that within their minds they begin to understand and think critically about the world that they are in. It's not that you're going to teach them everything. You're going to teach them how to think about the everything. To learn. This is what teachers do. Teachers provide purpose. And a million other Professions do the same. This is important. Purpose is not a script. It is a direction. God giving me a purpose does not dictate the next step that I take. It determines the direction in which I will step. A point a little ahead that we chase for his glory. Again, the expression of what that might look like may look wildly different. So for one teacher, God calling him to be a teacher and God calling her to be a teacher. It's going to look different. It's going to take different paths. But you chase after that call that God has given you. One theologian said, the man without purpose is like a ship without a rudder. The purpose doesn't have to be so grandiose. Hear me on this. We are obsessed with changing the world. We want to change the world. We can't waste a moment. We can't do anything. But listen, sometimes the purpose in your moment, the purpose in your day is to just be there. To be present with your family. That at the end of the day, that you would shut the laptop and you would close the planner and you would say, I'll pick up that stuff tomorrow. Right now I go home and I'm a husband and I'm a dad. I'm a wife and I'm a mom. I'm going to live my life. The purpose that I am to fulfill here is not to make more money or to to gain more things, but it's to be. To laugh with my friends. To eat good food. To rest. This is the purpose that God has given us at different moments in our day. That you wake up, you go to work, you go home tired, and you love your family. So we have these guardrails along that beautiful scenic mountainous drive. Y'all see that? See that with your mind? We have a direction that we're going. But remember, we're in a vehicle. We're moving with authority and with power and with strength. The third and the final aspect to the origin story that I think we see is that God speaks with authority. He gives design guardrails he gets purpose or direction but he also enables us he speaks with a purpose you see that all throughout the story of genesis 1 and 2 when god speaks he speaks like a king he orders and it happens god says let there be light and there is light You don't defy the king. He sets and establishes limitations and distinctions. He says, this is light and this is dark. This is sea and this is land. This is male and this is female. God establishes these distinctions. And we ought to, as Christians, as as logical, as rational human beings, we ought to respect those distinctions and live within them. We see what happens in a world where the standards are toppled, when words mean nothing, when identity and value is self-defined. There's a breakdown of order, purpose, and a rise of chaos and darkness. It is not progress. It is decay. It's not closed-minded to believe in and respect the authority of the Creator King. That's wise to do. 
As you observe God's authority play out throughout the rest of Scripture, what you really quickly begin to see is that God's authority is not destructive and it's not detrimental. It is clearly not abusive. God speaks to empower. God speaks. God lends his voice to speak into existence what wasn't but now is. This is how God speaks to a man who can not speak well. A person who either is just not good at talking in front of people or just his mouth could not speak. And he tells that man, you will stand before the greatest army, the greatest nation in the world, and you will speak for me. And he does. This is how he tells Esther or empowers Esther to have the ability and the opportunity to stand before the king and to save her own people. This is how he says on the wind and the waves to the man, you can step out of that boat and walk if you want to. And he does. You see, God's authority, God's voice, as we see it, we often think of it as like limiting or oppressive, but it's not. It's enabling. It's empowering us to be exactly what it is that we were supposed to be. This is like a parent who maybe has a toddler who's pretending that they are a puppy. Maybe you went through that. And the parent lovingly says, you're not a puppy. You're a boy. And that's better. Puppies eat on the floor. You eat at the table because we have fellowship. We have a family. Puppies sleep on the floor. But you sleep. They should sleep on the floor, y'all. But they, they, that's a side note that we'll talk about later. But, but you sleep in a bed in the comfort where humans sleep, not puppies. You sleep in this comfort. See, it's not wrong. It's not mean. It's not oppressive for a parent to say, you are not. You actually are. And that is good. It is by God's design. And it is great. And it is beautiful. Paul said in Acts chapter 17 verse 28. In him we live and move and have our being. We are a culture of toppling authority. And listen, rightfully so. We are a culture that topples authority. And we have pretty good reasons to do it. We have seen so many examples of abusive leaders. Manipulative, self-serving pastors, corrupt politicians, truthless teachers, self-protecting institutions and corporations. It makes sense that we would think, let's just throw it all out. But the reality is, the answer to bad authority is not the absence of authority, but it is good and right authority. To rightly consider Order as freeing, purpose as inspirational, and authority as empowering is to live as we were created to live. To break from any of those for a lawless world or a drifting walk or anarchy is to die in decay. And listen, at the heart of the human problem is this idea that we have rejected God's design. We have rejected God's authority. We have rejected God's purpose. We have determined that we are going to determine all of that for ourselves. And so we are captive to sin and to death and to brokenness. We are trapped within the chaos. And so the hope for you as an individual, for every single one of you, is to again, is to return to God like the prodigal son to run back to Jesus and to accept his design 
his purpose and his authority in your life to, to bend the knee, to lay down your fake plastic Chuck E. Cheese crown. I guess it would be a Burger King crown. Lay down your Burger King crown at the feet of the one true creator king. Because he is our God. That's why Peter says in 5, 6, say to the humble, or says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. This is the rescue plan from our own captivity, the redemption and forgiveness for our own rebellion. Submit to God and he will save you. It is a belief. It is an action. And if you haven't done that yet, If you have never submitted to Christ as your savior, I don't care how long you've been a part of this church, brand new or years, now is the time that you do that. God is our creator king. It says so on the very first page. There is no introduction. There is no backstory. God says it and it is. The Genesis creation story does does speak to our origin the immovable mover. But in a greater way, it speaks to God's plan for order and a purpose in our lives and creation. This foundational reality directs our lives and will constantly be at play throughout the rest of the Bible story. I want to draw your attention in the last few moments. I want to draw your attention to verse 26 in which God spoke about creating humanity. He says that he would make or that they would make then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness so the question is what does that mean and that text image has this idea of sort of the way that we would think of like a statue like if you've seen a Martin Luther King Jr. statue you haven't seen MLK you have seen an image that represents him and the idea would be that his his vision and his mission would be, uh, would be displayed there in his image. It's the same thing for us. So how do we image God throughout your lives? When this service wraps up, when, when, when Bible study wraps up, when you have, when you have a, a lunch with some church friend and you go to work tomorrow, start back school, when you, when you go to your athletic program, when you, when you go to your clubs, and when you hang out with your friends in your retirement years, how does it look like to image God in those places and in those circumstances? Well, first, we live by God's design. By God's design for femininity and masculinity. His design for our marriages and our family. His design for your singleness. We were fashioned to live a way that honors his design. So we live within those guardrails. Not seeing them as restrictive, but as good for us. We live within his design. We live for his purpose. Too very often we live our lives for pleasure and for possessions. Right? I mean, when you think about it. You get up and you go to work all day. Why? So that you can buy things that you enjoy. It doesn't start. Like you want to pay your bills... But you were able to pay your bills a little while ago. You stayed for overtime. You worked longer hours. You took all of this extra stuff. Why? So you could buy more things that you enjoy. And there's really nothing wrong with that. I hope you get all of the things that you enjoy. I also hope you share. But that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to make much of Jesus for the good of others and the glory of God. That is our purpose. That is what we do And we live by his authority. What this means is that when you look at the way that God 
empowers, when the way that God protects, with the way that God guides, that means that if you're the boss at your job, there's not a church you and a work you. That within your work, you empower. That you use whatever strength you have to platform others. That you empower, that you guard, that you protect, that you, that you inspire. Why? Not necessarily, uh, because that will make your, like, your yearly review better. Not because it makes you feel better, but because you are imaging God in your workplace, in your office building, in that classroom. That's how we live our lives as Christians, that we would represent God in this world. As a church, we need to do the same. As a collective group, we need to do the same. There are too many churches that function and act in ways that are foreign to the scripture. You open up the Bible and you read the way the church acts and the way the church was ordered and the way the church was structured. And then you look at many churches and you go, where did we get that? We need to go back and live that way. There are too many churches that are pursuing some other goal than what God gave us to do. That needs to... One of y'all set a timer on me? (laughs) It is 1030. I hope you got to take medication because that's what that is. I'm kidding. I should have been done. My point is, as a collective church, we need to be ready to jettison... Or slough off whatever it is that isn't by his design and for his purpose with his authority. It can make sense. It can be the way we've done it. It can be the way somebody else has done it. But if it doesn't align with his design and his purpose and his authority, somebody else can do it. We ain't. With all of this moving, you start to think back to other moves that you have made. And one that comes to my mind is when we bought our first home in Saxe, over there on the east side of the metro. We bought this little home uh, at the end of this street. It was a dead-end street. It wasn't a cul-de-sac. It was just, it ended there. And everything about dead-end made sense. It wasn't a great, it was truly a fixer-upper. In fact, the pre, it had been vacant for a long time because the previous owner's child had been murdered. Like a grown child. It was a drug deal. Um, and, then, and then the mama just disappeared. So nobody wanted that house. We were like, we'll do it. So we bought that house. And it was scary. And it was dark. And it was intimidating. At the end of this dead end street. And there was this section of city owned property next to it. With these big trees. That had not been kept or, or, or cared for in a very long time. It butted up right against the house. So much so that it had overgrown to the point where the trees were touching the house. And there were vines and snakes and weeds and bugs all up in this stuff. And it was touching the house. And it just gave the house this giant scary feeling. This, this big monstrosity that nobody wanted to attack or, or approach or certainly not live in. But we bought the house. And then shortly after that, I attacked that big old group of trees. The city wasn't doing it, and I figured they wouldn't mind. So I moved out all of the logs that were dead and decaying there in the ground, limbs that had fallen through storms. I moved them all out. I dragged them all out, drug them all out. I 
cut the bottom of vines and just pulled on them and pulled on them and pulled on them until just giant clumps of vine fell from the trees. I killed so many snakes, some valiantly, most not, all right? (laughs) Killed snakes, screamed a lot, bled a lot. I picked up all the things. Then I ran the mower through there. I lifted my mower as high as I could. I ran the mower all through there, mostly just mulching death, all right? And then I cut back all of the limbs as high as I could reach. I got a ladder and I cut the limbs even higher, trimmed out the trees there. Anything that was over our property line, I cut that back. Not all of it, just a little bit, you know. Cut it all back to make it beautiful, to make it approachable. All of a sudden we had this whole side yard. All of a sudden we had all this extra property lined there. I won't ever forget the mornings when we, standing in our kitchen, could peer through that window as we made coffee in the early mornings before we read our Bibles. We looked and we saw the most beautiful Texas sunrise. Why? Because what had been dead and scary and overgrown and chaotic, it just needed order and care. And all of a sudden, light and life burst through it. Your hearts are like that. Our church may be like that. Our community clearly is like that. Our country, there's a lot of snakes. We have to return to God's design and his purpose and his authority. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for those who have gathered together to make much of you. May our hearts ever be excited and willing to chase after you. God, in all of these ways, glorify yourself. Give us the the strength to change things that don't align with your design or your purpose, even good things. May we reject those. To chase hard and forever after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Y'all stand with us. We're gonna give you a moment to respond as the musicians play. Whatever Holy Spirit has laid on your heart, however he has led you to think or to believe, maybe now's the time that you pray. You pray and you, and you declare before God. You make a change now. You speak that change so that this week you can put it to action.